Today, Pastor Javen continues the series, Signs of the Times, where today we see the glorious unveiling of Jesus in the book of Revelation. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. The series we started last week, Signs of the Times, we said we'd be in this for four weeks, and, and this second week is one, maybe outside of the, the last part of the series, that, that I have just been looking forward to. Uh, and excited about what God's word is going to tell us today. We, we started this series last week and we started looking at the signs that Jesus told his disciples of when he would return. Uh, we see it in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 24, Luke, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 21, Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 13. Jesus gives these signs to his disciples. And we said, if you, if you read them, if you listen to them, you, you realize that these are things that have been happening. They're happening now and they've been happening since he told the disciples about this. They've been happening since their day, since their time. But he told them it was like labor pains, which means it's only going to intense more and more. And, and it's only going to increase more and more, right? And so, but we said that the good news of this is what that means is that at some point there will be an emergence, a birthing. And this will be the emergence of the kingdom of God where Jesus Christ stands in his full glory over eternity. But we said that what Jesus speaks to us in the meantime is he's saying, look, you need to always be watchful. You need to always be alert. You need, don't, don't let yourself be deceived. Don't let yourself be discouraged by the things that are happening around you. He tells them you need to always be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ until everyone hears the good news of Jesus Christ. He is being patient until all who can and will be saved are saved. And then one day he will turn. He, even Jesus himself doesn't know what that, when that is. So what we know is what we have to do, what we said last week, we have to live every day in active anticipation, not passive pandering. We have to live every day proclaiming the good news of, the, of Jesus Christ, encouraging one another, living every day as if it could be the, today, but knowing that if he gives us today, we have a purpose in this day. Amen. And it is to bring God glory until he comes in his glory. This week, we're going to jump into everybody's favorite book, all right? And it's not Leviticus. It's, uh, it's Revelation. We're going to jump into this book. And this week, we're going to see the unveiling. This is why I'm excited about it. We're going to see the unveiling of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. Next week, we need to see it because next week, we're going to look at the unveiling of our spiritual enemy. But as ominous as our spiritual enemy appears, Jesus Christ is greater. Jesus Christ is greater. And then the last week of this series, we're going to look at, we're going to look at what the Bible and what scripture speaks about the end and how that might look. But regardless of all of it, ultimately we have to understand that our decision to receive Christ as savior and Lord of our life, that decision, whether we receive him or reject him, it has a destination. That decision has a destination and we need to understand that. I shared this uh, in, in our Christmas series when I talked briefly about the book of Revelation and, and that message, or in our Christmas message, uh, but repetition doesn't hurt anybody. Um, John was uh, an individual that got to live at least three years of his life walking the eastern part of this world with Jesus Christ until Jesus died and was resurrected. And then John became an apostle of the early church. Right? And he spent the last years of his life exiled on an isle of Patmos. He was sent there by a Roman emperor named Domitian because John would not stop talking about a risen Jesus Christ. 
They didn't want to hear it. They tried to kill him. The apostles are telling him, didn't work. (laughs) He's still alive. And his church is growing and is stronger than ever. And while John was on this island, Jesus appeared to him and gave him a vision. And John wrote that vision down. And it was discovered inside a cave on that island. That cave's become known as the Holy Cave of the Apocalypse. And that writing is what we know as the book of Revelation. Now, when you think about the book of Revelation, when you read the book of Revelation, what goes through you? Are you, are, are you uh, intrigued? Are you excited? Are you confused? <laughs> are you frightened? Are you E, all of the above, right? I mean, it's, what's going through your mind when you read that? When you read that book, you see bowls of judgment. You see beasts. You see false prophets. You see some gigantic woman called the mother of all prostitutes. You see the four horsemen. Woo! You see, uh, it's not them, I promise. It's not those. It's, it's not that four. You see, you see human eating dragons. You see, you see so many things, right? But I don't want you to worry today because I've got two degrees and an ordination on my wall that qualify me as a trained professional to confuse you even more than you already are. All right. That's what I'm here to do today. One of my favorite lines from the office is an episode where Michael's trying to understand the budget and he looks at Oscar, his financial guy, and he tells me, explain it to me like I'm five. Okay. So that's my, that's my, that's the way I live my life. Explain it to me like I'm five. All right. So here we go. Now the church up until this point is experiencing some things that are not necessarily going their way. All of the apostles have been martyred. John is exiled on this island. Followers of Christ are being blamed for the burning of Rome. They're being blamed for many other problems. It's become illegal to be a follower of Christ. They are being hunted like they were a part of the Hunger Games, okay, just to make a modern-day revelation or, or, or visualization. Things are not great, but here's what's amazing. Even amongst all of that, it is not going well for the church. The movement of God and the church of Christ is growing and it's expanding and it's mobilized and it's moving and the gospel is spreading in the middle of all that. And John gets this vision that he calls a revelation that is essentially the unveiling of what is taking place behind the scenes. What God's plans are for the world what God's plans are for his followers, what God's plans are for evil and his enemy. And in the middle of that revelation is an unveiling of Jesus Christ and who he is standing in all of it. Now, I don't believe when we read revelation that it's going to be one of those things that we can, we can pick out and create a specific timeline for what, how we're going to see all this play out. There are many who have done it. There are many who have tried to chart it and there are debates over how all that looks. Okay. I don't think that we can necessarily read through the book of revelation and pinpoint who is who or every aspect of it. Who is who in that as far as today and like so-and-so might be this person in the book of revelation. I don't think that's what God's given it to us. I don't think we can necessarily read this completely literal, but I can tell you this. It's not meant to be read as a fantasy. This is an actual depiction of what's happening in the world through spiritual eyes. It's an unveiling of the power that the world believes it holds 
But in fact, that power is just an illusion because there's only one who holds ultimate power in this world. And that's who we're going to look at today. Revelation chapter one. If you have your Bibles, you can go, go there. Revelation chapter one. This is where we're going to start. We'll start very beginning. Revelation chapter one, verse one. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who what? Listen to its message and who what? Obey what it says for the time is near. You are blessed when you read the book of Revelation. You are blessed when you listen to the reading of the book of Revelation. That is the mindset that you have to go into when looking at the book of Revelation. You have to go into this book with the mindset, I am blessed reading and hearing and seeing these words. I'm blessed. Now, quick thing, that phrase, the time is near. A lot of people say, see, this is why you can't trust the Bible, because this is thousands of years ago, and he's proclaiming the time is near and all this. We have to understand this is God's measurement of time. Again, all the signs that Jesus talked about that were birth pains, those things were happening in their day. So what are they doing when they're proclaiming the time is near? They are proclaiming active anticipation, not passive pandering. They're anticipating Maranatha, the coming of God. But even in the middle of it, they're proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The time is near. It's kind of like that phrase is kind of like you. If you're a parent and you're traveling, you got kids and they're asking, uh, you know, uh, how much longer do we have? Right. Are, Are we close yet? And you answer them back. Well, not much longer. And, you know. There's still a lot more hours left on the trip, right? But you're telling them, not much longer. My favorite line, we're closer than we were when we left, right? That's, that's my favorite line, right? The thing is, it's in God's hands. And if we can trust him to create the world, if we can trust Jesus Christ for our salvation from dying on a cross, and we can trust that he rose again and he lives still today, we can trust that time is in his hands, And Jesus Christ himself, who doesn't know when that day will be, we still know he will come. So it's in his hands. That's why we live with active anticipation, not passive pandering. So let's keep going. Let's jump to verse 9 of Revelation chapter 1. This is what John says. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us to. That's a great line. That's a great way to say it. Patient endurance. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. This is the voice of God. He said, it said, write in a book, everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then he says, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And then look at who he saw. 
And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the son of man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty oceans. He had seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Gosh, this is Jesus Christ. His white hair symbolizes wisdom. Hello. (laughs) That's a joke. But his white hair and the way John describes him and his white hair, he's saying he is wiser than the wisest who we thought has ever lived on this earth. His eyes have are, are, are fire. He is saying the insight that he has into everything is brilliant. His face is brighter than the sun. His voice is louder than the oceans. He's saying he has a power that is unimaginable. His words are like double-edged sword. What is he saying? He's saying he speaks the word of God that cuts sin and evil out of humanity. The seven stars are the messengers of the church. And it says he holds these in his hands. And as we go through the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus Christ holds the church, his bride, in his hands. Then we get to verse 17 and look at what John says. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet feet, as if I were dead. Now, I don't think this is just figure of speech here. John is experiencing the heaviness and the weight of what it is to be in the presence of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ and who he is as one with God. John is seeing someone so powerful that he cannot stand in his presence. The only choice he has is to fall at his feet. And in his mind, he thinks at any moment, I can be dead. John is seeing a different Jesus than who John walked with when he was on this earth. See, we talked about this. I mentioned this briefly last week. We talked about this in, in, in a series we did near the end of last year called Authentic Christianity. It was in week two. Paul wrote his letter to the church of Philippi. Philippians chapter two, he explains that Jesus Christ came in the form and the expression of man. He was carrying the nature of God, but he walked this earth in the expression of man. He was one in nature. He was one in attribute. He was one in character with God. But the expression that he had while he walked this earth was that of man. There was one time that he, that he showed his expression as God. And Matthew records that it's known as the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were the only three of the disciples that were with Jesus at this time. So undoubtedly, they came back and they talked to Matthew and the others about it, told them what they saw. Matthew recorded it. Look at what he says, Matthew chapter 17, verse two, as the men watched, Jesus's appearance was transformed. And look at how he describes him so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as a light. That sounds like revelation, right? Peter gets all excited. He can't believe what he's seen. Elijah and Moses are there. He's saying, all right, we got to build some houses. We need to stay here. We can't leave this moment. We need to stay. God, I like it that you're here like man, like 
us, but man, this is way cooler. We need to stay right here and you need to stay that way. And then God speaks from the heavens. And it sounds a lot like when he spoke from the heavens, when Jesus was baptized, look at what's next verse five, I believe it is. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And then the disciples were what? Terrified and fell face down. But then look at what Jesus says to his disciples. Then Jesus came over and touched them and said, get up. Don't be afraid. Now jump back to Revelation chapter one, verse 17. Look at what Jesus says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if he were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. You have to wonder, does that spark John's mind back to that moment? But then Jesus said a little bit more in this moment. He said, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and the grave. (laughs) He is showing John his power, his majesty, his love. So that John can cling to that in the middle of all he's about to see. Before you see anything else in Revelation, you have got to see Jesus. Because it's the image of the risen Jesus Christ that your faith is in. And that strengthens your hope. And that anchors that hope. So that in the middle of all the signs that you see, in the middle of everything, if we're here, that might be faced at the end of time, we see and understand a Jesus who is sovereign over all of it, whose power is at work, in all, is over all of it. That all the other powers that we see in this world that think they have power, they're just an illusion. And the only choice they will have is to fall on their face at the feet of Jesus. This is the Jesus we need to see. So the revelation that Jesus begins with right off the bat is the one that says, I'm the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am not dead. I am alive. And I hold the keys to death and the grave. He has been there since the beginning. John wrote about that when he began his gospel. He didn't begin like Matthew and Luke did when they began with the genealogies. Those are important. Those are great. He didn't begin like Mark did, who just jumped straight to John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism. He begins from the beginning of time. And he writes and he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's Jesus Christ. Paul, who would have learned about Jesus Christ, who would have experienced a risen Jesus Christ, wrote in his letters, he says that he he is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is the one that through him, everything was made by him and made for him. He was there from the beginning. Now he's showing John that I'm here in the end. He's saying that I'm the one that Daniel prophesied is going to roll up on my throne with wheels like fire, that I'm going to speak and bring an end to all of the evil in the same way I brought a beginning to all of creation. I'm just going to breathe the words out of my mouth. I don't have to say anything. I just have to speak. So what we understand is if he is a God in the beginning and he's the God at the end, then we have to understand he's got a plan in the present and we can rest assured that everything is in his hands. And then he says, I hold the keys. 
which means I've got the power. I've got the ownership. I'm in control. You can't do anything. You can't go anywhere without the keys. Now, I was a youth pastor once, so I hear the chirping. Oh, yeah, you can. You can hotwire. You can break in. You can do all those kind of things. But God lets us know that there is a place for that counterfeit power. That is a counterfeit power that is temporary and it will eventually be punished. He is saying, I hold the ultimate power because I have ownership. I have rightful ownership over death, hell, and the grave. It can't go nowhere without me and my permission. You see why I'm excited about? (laughs) He's the Alpha, the Omega, is the beginning and the end. He's telling John that Rome, this, this world that sent you here, Rome, the power of Rome, the power of Nero, the power of Domitian, it's all an illusion. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's not dead, he's alive. He holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. You keep going in Revelation, then you see the Lamb of God, the worthy Lamb of God. Now, see, this imagery is powerful because the people who hear these words would remember John the Baptist who proclaimed when Jesus come walking up on that hill to be baptized, John looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, why was that powerful? Because the people's minds would go back to the Passover when the Israelites were held captive under Egypt and God spoke to them and he said, you go and you get a lamb, a spotless lamb. You sacrifice that lamb. You take the blood of that lamb. You put it over your doorpost. And so when the angel of death passes over your homes, death will not come to you. Why? Because the lamb holds the power and holds the keys over death. And so the lamb passes over. They don't die. God rescues them and frees them from their slavery. In the same way that Jesus Christ, who is the spotless lamb of God, came, gave his life, died on a cross, rose again three days later, gives you victory over your sin that's holding you slavery, that's holding you into captivity. He gives you victory over that and he gives you power. And he says, you are not held under the power of death and hell anymore. And John is saying he's the worthy lamb of God that can open up the scrolls. What does that mean? It means that he can open up the declaration of what is to come and what is to happen. He is the worthy lamb of God. You keep going in the book of Revelation and you see he is the righteous judge who judges the earth. He did not come in his first coming to judge. He did not come to condemn. He did not come to bring to bring judgment and condemnation to you. He came to bring salvation to you. And because of his salvation, we are free from the judge. We are covered under the righteousness of God so that we can escape the judgment of God. But he is coming again. And in his second coming, he comes as the judge who judges the earth. And so what he will do is he will separate those who have received his grace and are covered under his righteousness away from those who rejected his salvation. You keep going in Revelation, you see the king of kings and you see the Lord the Lord's. We have to see this. We have to hear this. And rather than me read it, I want to show you a video. This is an older video, but every time I watch it, it gives me chills. It sends chills down my spines because of it proclaiming the word of God. Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 16. Watch this real quick.
I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's not dead. He's alive. He holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He is the worthy Lamb of God. He is the righteous judge that judges the earth. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You keep going in Revelation. He is the bridegroom who will come for his bride, who is the church. He will not leave us. He will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. He will come again, and he will take us to be with him in a new heaven and a new earth. You need to see Jesus this way. And what does he say at the end of Revelation? He says the same thing that he's been saying since the beginning. Come to him. Come to him. The point of Revelation, the point of the book of Revelation is to not to give is not to give you idle speculation about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The point of Revelation is to motivate you to go and tell about his first coming. To tell everyone you know, come to him. And look at how the book ends. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life, come to Jesus. Drink from him. Everything you're thirsty for in this life, you're only going to find fulfillment when you come to Christ. Verse 20, he says this. He who is faithful, the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And the church says, amen. Come Lord Jesus. And then verse 21 says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. He says, come to him. And those in him say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And through it all, we are covered by his grace, his unmerited favor. Everything around you in the world might cause you to have moments where you're fearful and you're afraid. But heaven would speak over you and would say, do not be afraid. The son of God, the son of man is returning and he is the king of glory. Do you stand in awe today of who Jesus is? Or do you stand opposed to who he is? Do you stand to hope in hope today of what he's provided for you? Or do you stand deceived by the, by the delusion of the power of the world? He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's not dead, he's alive. He holds the keys to death and the grave. He's the worthy Lamb of God. He's the righteous judge of the earth. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the bridegroom that will come for his bride. He will bring a new heaven and a new earth. And there's one that I left out and you might know it. 
the same place where his revelation tells us he's the Lamb of God, it also tells us he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. This goes all the way back to Genesis when the 12 sons of of Jacob formed the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob is prophesying over his children and he gets to Judah. Genesis chapter 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one who it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. This is all the way back in Genesis. Jacob is prophesying. He ties his foal to a grapevine, the colt of his donkey to a choice vine. He washes his cloths in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. Who is this? It's Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he stands with the authority of a lion over all of creation. Everything is under his feet. He puts the enemy under his, he stands on the neck of the enemy and his his authority is available to you. I'll give you a sneak peek. And I've been studying this and, I'm, and this is a future message down the road. But Jesus says that, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. We often hear that against as the attack of hell towards the church. But gates are what close something in, what secures something. Jesus is telling his disciples that the gates of hell will not prevail against you, the church. You have authority to go against the gates of hell. But you will not understand Jesus is lying. You will not understand the authority of Jesus until you receive him as the lamb who was sacrificed for you, who gave his life for you and his salvation and his grace and his mercy is available to you. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.